Hey, thanks so much for checking out this episode of Golf Strategy School. Now, I know you're listening because you want to learn how to play better golf. But if you want to see how you compare to other golfers your age, you need to check out parforsuccess.com slash Griffin. That is par, the number four, success.com slash Griffin, G-R-I-F-F-I-N. And what it will do is it will actually give you a free assessment where you can see exactly how you measure up against other people your age. And you can see where you're excelling, where you need to focus your time on. And this is an assessment, honestly, that you can take once a month just to see how you're progressing throughout your golf journey. So again, check out parforsuccess.com slash Griffin to see how you measure up against other golfers your age. Hey, what's up, Golf Strategy School? Marty back with you again. And today we've got a really cool episode. And it's it's something that a lot of people have asked about. And so I have kind of tapped my resources. And thank goodness, uh, Josh Boggs, frequent guest of the podcast, uh, has been able to, to grab a couple of his colleagues who are very knowledgeable on this source as well. Uh, but today we are talking about club fitting. I get a lot of questions about, well, should I get fitted for clubs? Is it worth it? You know, when do I know that I should get fitted for clubs? So that is exactly what we're going to talk about today. Do you love to play golf? Do you wish you could be a more consistent and confident player? Well, you're in the right place. This is the Golf Strategy School podcast, where we discuss specific practice strategies used by some of the best golf instructors from around the world. Here's your host, Marty Griffin. And we are joined today by Dave Rosinski, Mike McNutt, and the aforementioned Josh Boggs, all coming to us out of Columbus, Ohio, the Golf Tech in Columbus. And uh, I just want to say thank you, gentlemen, for volunteering to come on the podcast today. I know we're all kind of Corona quarantined right now. So this, this does a lot of good for me, lifting my spirits, being able to talk about golf, because in Wisconsin, they deemed the golf courses as all closed. So gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on. I, I really, really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having us. Yeah. This was kind of a conversation we were having before I hit record and we were talking about, you know, all of the different ins and outs and all the different variables that happen with a club fitting. And, you know, it all kind of comes down to that first linchpin question of, you know, are you going to get fitted for clubs or not? And, you know, I think there was kind of a really cool conversation happening about like that thought process uh, that the golfer should have. So Josh, you know, you were kind of leading that conversation. Do you want to kind of to lead it off there and, and start that ball rolling again about, you know, what should golfers be thinking about when they're deciding whether or not they should have a club fitting? Yeah, I'd love to. Like, I think like the first question that has to be asked is what's, what's the golfer's intent? Like we're also golf instructors on top of club fitters. And so a lot of the people that we talk to um, are interested in both club fitting and golf instruction. And so if you're a player and you're thinking about making a change to your golf swing, um, I would first represent with that person that you're thinking about making that change with and get their opinion on when the appropriate time is to be fit. Um, like the thing I tell people when they ask me this question, when they, when they talk to me for the first time is I'd hate to fit you for a new set of clubs, 
sell you those golf clubs and then uh, change your golf swing and then the fit be different. Now that said, not everybody is necessarily like looking to change their golf swing and that's okay too. Um, but if that's the case and you're interested in a new set of clubs, I'd say go get fit. Um, because as we were saying before this, that we hit record today, almost every golfer I know can benefit from fitting. I think it just comes down to like what's your intent here in the short term and then the long term as it relates to your golf swing. Yeah, when we look at those those kind of short versus long term goals, it really is a decision that that belongs pretty much entirely with the golfer as to whether they're planning on improving the mechanics because that absolutely will change the fit or whether or not they're just saying, "Hey, this is what I got. I want something shinier that goes a little bit farther. How can you help me?" So, you know, kind of step 1 as that golfer is to decide are you making a mechanical change with your instructor or are you already in a good spot and you're just kind of refining small things where that fitting could help does that sound fair i couldn't agree more uh would you guys disagree one thing that like really pains me to see is i'll have a student come in or somebody that is you know has been fit for one component of their bag or the other. And you ask them, Hey, did you get fit for this? And it's, and it's brand new. And then they tell me, no, it's like instantly my radar goes off and I'm thinking you just wasted a lot of money. And I don't know if I can convince you to, to go a different direction here. That's actually going to help you in the long run. Painful. So in that, in that example, Dave, what would you like your course of action if money were not an object, someone comes in, you say, oh, hey, you got this new shiny thing. Did you get fitted for it? I say no. You have that that internal eye roll, that sigh of... Sometimes oh, it's not even internal. <laughs> I'd say, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. Like, <laughs> probably going to have to look at that in the future and, and make sure that this is the right, the right fit for you if you want to play your best golf. So what would be your... Yeah, what would be that optimal follow-up course of action if someone does just like they they saw a great mm-hmm. sale at Dick's and they just snagged something off the rack? What usually is that best follow-up course of action? Sometimes I'll just take time out, out of my schedule to say, "Hey, let's let's look at these. I think it's worth looking at. Uh, take a half hour or so, and 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 maybe make some comparisons to something um, on opposite sides of the spectrum from what they have, and see if we see different results immediately." Then then tell them, Hey, I think we need to go through this whole, whole fitting process and make sure that, um, you have whatever, whatever you need to play, play your best. One of the, uh, not to kind of butt in, but one of the things that I, I may be very smart alecky of me to, to ask, but, um, initially one of the things I ask to almost everybody is, um, you know, 50% of the equation is you, the golfer, 50% of the, the equation is going to be the golf clubs. And, you know, if you're a carpenter, you're not going to go out and do your daily duties with plumber tools. So like, we got to make sure we, we're setting ourselves up for success before we even make a, a swing at it. And that's, um, it's always fun for me. At least I take it as a challenge is when they say they have been fit and I sometimes get excited to show them, you know, Hey, maybe that club is absolutely going to work well for you and that's great when it came off the assembly line that fit you not john doe whereas you have um then then it's almost a challenge for me and showing them like hey we can totally make this better 
and finding what such golfer, said golfer needs to, to help them play better golf. At the end of the day, like it comes down to like looking at the information, seeing where it aligns with that golfer's goals, um, and then making sure those things line up. And if for some reason they don't, like as a fitter and instructor, I just start making the case. Um, and then like once you show once you show people the information, like oftentimes like they're gonna say like, oh, I get it now, I get it now, and like then you can make an informed decision from there. So when we look at you know at those kind of two paths that we laid out at the beginning here of someone who's gonna work on the mechanics of their swing versus someone whose swing is sound enough. How does someone know whether their swing is sound enough that it is a good time to actually get fitted versus still tinkering with the mechanics of it and maybe delaying that fitting process? I think it really boils down to, I mean, someone's not going to buy new golf clubs just because they want something shinier there. There's an intention is they want to get better at golf. Like, yeah, man, I've had these clubs for, for 20 years and, I just, I just know that there's newer technology out there that can help me. Um, I know like one of the things we mentioned is like forgiving, like, well, like, yeah, I know the clubs are more forgiving or newer technology will help me hit it further. Like they're not coming to you because, you know, they want to stay where they are with their game. They want to get better. And I think if any golfer is, is wanting to improve their game or at least beat their buddies on Saturday morning or beat the guys on men's league and during the week, like, if you're wanting to get better, like it's definitely the first step um, outside of getting instruction. It's definitely the first step in, in working towards getting better at golf. I don't think anyone plays golf to say, I want to, I want to shoot 95 the rest of my life. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I absolutely agree there. And I think that's kind of where most of my audience lies is kind of in that 90 to 100 zone and, they have that kind of internal debate of, well, you know, I've, I've got my, my golf budget, you know, is, is this the year that I make that, that jump and that commitment into the equipment side of things, or is this still, you know, I need to stay the course with instruction. I know Josh, you had said uh, before we hit record, I should have hit record (laughs) earlier. (laughs) You had said, Josh hitting within an inch of the center of the face is kind of a, a good rule of thumb in terms of when might be the right time to buy equipment. Is that right? Yeah. And like, I think like a really good way to look at like this whole thing and take that one step further is if you're in a fitting um, as a golfer or a fitter and like you can't hit golf shots that are reasonable, like you quickly start to learn that like, I can't get any good information to tell you what's good or bad about this golf club. And so like for the audience, like if they're out there and they're saying like, when I go to the range, um, it is difficult for me to string out five shots that go within 30% of their max yardage um, out of 10, then like we probably need to look at like golf swing first. But like there's a whole lot of people that shoot 90 to 100 that can hit a lot of good shots within an inch of the club face. And like when I say an inch, I'm obviously talking to the driver. Uh, because it's the biggest, uh, the biggest club head. Um, but like people kind of know when that's the case, um, that like, you know what, I can't string together any good shot. And so like when I talk to golfers that are on the fence about getting fit and they, they're not sure that they're good enough or that clubs that matter, 
like my experience tells me that like so many golfers are good enough to benefit from it way more than think they're good enough to make the investment in golf clubs. Like, because if you go the golf instruction route, like then that's also a time um, investment. And so like all those things have to be, uh, have to be weighed. Um, I'm actually looking for some information that I have that says, and this will pertain to like distance, um, that, that says something along the lines of for every 20 yards in distance, a golfer gains, um, that it could, it does equal up to two strokes off their total score, mm. regardless of accuracy. And so, I mean, both of these guys, I think will echo this, that how many fittings, especially, and I'm talking driver here, do you guys do where the golfer picks up 20 yards? Like I, I'm going to say quite a few, which is kind of a, a bold thing to say, but like, most people are misfit. I'd say well over sixty percent, if not seventy. Yeah, yeah, I'd have, I would definitely have to agree with that. I can actually attest to that myself, uh, Josh. We've been talking for five years every Monday, and mm-hmm. you heard <laughs> you you laughed and probably cried a little bit silently. Uh, you heard what club I was playing, and you go, "You kidding me? That club is fourteen years old." go get fitted for a new driver. And I, I kept saying, I'm like, well, you know, it's, I'm, I'm not hitting as far. I'm sure it's going to be somewhat my age, my inability to practice as much. And you're like, no, the club's 14 years old. Go pay the $30 to get fitted. If you don't see huge difference. And I think you even threw out like 15 to 20 yards difference then you said like i will i will send you the 30 dollars i will paypal it to you it is that big of a difference maker and i was i was pretty consistent like 255 to 260 carry with my uh with my driver and it, this was an old tailor made r7 and i went and got fitted uh this was right as the m2 was coming out and just instantly up to 280, 285 for carry. And I was just absolutely flabbergasted. Not to mention that I went and I got fitted in like January and in Wisconsin, that is, that is not when you're swinging your best. So I absolutely noticed it and I agree with the sentiment. I just think it's sometimes good for my audience to hear it from people other than me, people who have that experience of having done these fittings time and time and time again, uh, because, you know, it's, it's one thing for me to say it because it worked for me, but I'm, I am not a statistically relevant data sample. <laughs> well, you would, you had, you would really, you just actually said something that I hear all the time. Well, yeah. Like, I don't know if, I don't know if right now is the right time for me to get fit. I, I haven't really hit a lot of balls or I don't have a lot of practice in. Well, I actually look at that as like, that's the best time to get fitted because guess what? Like if you go watch a lot of the interviews at the end of a, a tour event and they're talking to the guys and, and they'll talk about how many good shots they hit. And then you hear about the number and they'll say, Oh, I hit, I hit four shots how I wanted to. Like that's a lot of misses. If they shot 68, that's 64 misses. Like, great let's actually see how your misses get better like you're not going to go and hit every golf ball good so like let's get all the misses as good as we can get them yeah i love i love some sorry to interject like i love to see i like to see each miss if i can somebody hit it toward the heel a little bit see somebody hit it toward the the toe a little bit and then 
see him hit it off the middle and see what kind of see what we have going on there. And obviously, we we see all those shots, then we can help them maximize their potential. Right. Like I mean, you hit it in the center of the club face. Like you should expect the golf ball to do something nice. Like let me see you hit it off the heel, just like Dave was saying. Let me see you hit it off the toe. Like let's make those shots better, and then that's when like without any golf instruction, if we're making those shots better, like, remember, we're not tour players. Like, I'm not a tour player. And, like, I if I can get my heel shots and my toe shots to go a lot straighter, at least somewhere in the general direction, at least not forward, like, my scores are going to drop. Yeah, I mean, I remember a specific story uh, from one of our other coworkers talking about a guy that he's worked with a long time who has a miss that's on the toe. Um, so the golf ball tends to, like, toe and hook. Um, often like uh, shots off the toe do. And when he hits that shot, like with his old driver, that ball would go like dive out of the air at 160. And so like he could hit it way past that. He could hit it well over 200 yards. But when he hit that miss, it'd go 260. Now, like we're talking about a significant amount of yardage here. The driver and the shaft combination they put him with um, got that same miss to stretch out almost to 200 yards. Like think of like the dispersion short and long difference, something like that makes. Middle to middle, drivers were about the same, but that toe that toe shot brought that yardage up thirty plus yards. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. So, like we're, we in this conversation right here, we're talking a lot about driver fittings. Let's go a little bit further down that rabbit hole. What you know, what should someone expect when they're going and getting fitted for a driver? Josh, why don't you lead us off? Well, I think the first thing that I would I would expect is and this is something that i pride uh pride myself and i'm sure the these other two do we test against their current golf club mm-hmm. how in the world can i make a case that you need a new golf club if i don't know what yours does and so like for me that is the first priority is that we need to test against what your current golf club does so if the if they don't do that like i'm not sure what you're doing um and so like that's that's the first thing that jumps to my mind uh um, I mean, definitely yeah. we don't want to be, um, how do I want to say this guessing there's, there's really no, no reason to even think about getting anything new unless we, we have the data from the old, uh, you're, you're just taking a shot in right. the dark but at that point. And some people, I, I think some people, some of our students would trust us enough to, to fit them without a, um, con- control club. But at the end of the day, it's, sure. you know, we got to. If they're going to make an investment in 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 a a club, we need to be able to judge it off something uh, that they used prior that they weren't having any success with. And two, like I think we maybe something that we do maybe a titch different is just finding out how that club is statically before they even swing it. Like, okay, before you swing this golf club, like we run tests on it and figure out, okay, what, what's the stiffness of the shaft and blah, blah, blah. And, and when I say blah, 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 it's just more in depth uh, knowledge fitters would like to know. Um, but you know, is if, if the club is say a stiff and it's actually then coming out statically to be a regular and you're not supposed based on how that golfer swings a club, a regular is not going to benefit them. Like, well, we're already kind of off on the wrong foot there. And, you know, that's, that's another, it's another good way to kind of to reaffirm how important it is to have stuff that's made for that golfer. 
so Mike, like, I, I think it'd be worth telling the audience, like how we do that. Like yeah, when so, we look at the shaft and figure out like if it's the wrong stiffness, regardless of what it says on the label, like how do we do that? Yeah. So, so the, the, one of the, the first step we do is, is the, the golfer comes in and, and we ask them to bring their golf clubs. And, and before we even start hitting golf balls, like we're going to take their clubs. And so we do our fitting process, um, starting it out by, okay, we're going to use our frequency analyzer. And so what the frequency does um, is there's a laser and then you have an air compressor that then you clamp the club into the frequency analyzer. When you flick the golf club, um, it's measuring the cycles per minute. So it's measuring, you know, how many times that club is oscillating, kicks out a number. And then we go and put that number into the frequency chart, um, with some other information. So we're measuring how long it is. Um, so a lot of times, uh, kind of debunk a myth here. Um, a lot of times people think the shorter a shaft is, the stiffer it gets where as it's actually a longer, the shaft is, it can get stiffer too. Um, so we're measuring the length then we're measuring the swing weight. Um, and then from there, we're going to go ahead and we're going to take that static information of that golf club and put it into, uh, our software, which then kicks out, um, you know, the true stiffness of that shaft. And, um, it's very often I find that, uh, the shaft or that club is actually not what it is supposed to be or what it says on the, the shaft. So for example, more often I see regular flexes come in as stiff and stiff flexes come in as regulars. And Marty, we can provide that shaft if you are that chart that Mike's referencing. So you can uh, put it on the, the show notes or whatever. So people can come check it out. Um, just make a note to remind me and I'll send that your way. So that people can have that and get an idea of what that looks like. Gotcha. Yeah. It's a frequency chart, right? Yep. Yeah. It just kind of compares length to what the, the cycles per minute or, or what we call CPM. Um, so you can have an idea, but like Mike's absolutely correct. The amount of times that you, the label reads one thing, you measure it and it reads a totally different thing. Um, like happens way more than like anybody would even be comfortable with knowing. Um, and so like that, that's a good place to start off. Yeah. And I, and I even took it at one step further and in, in figuring out based on, um, this is just my fitting nerdiness and I, I really geek out on, on club fitting and, um, what size grip the person has and how that would influence the frequency number and then what grip they have would then affect the frequency number. So I have like a chart that says, okay, if you have this grip and it's this size, you need to make sure to add this number to the frequency number just to make sure like, you know, I, I pride myself on, on fitting golfers really to what they need best. And um, I want to make sure that if I'm handing somebody a product that they're truly going to walk out the door, a better golfer than when they came in. And so it's, it's uh, it truly is a good process, but it, for any golfer, it, it's only going to benefit them to get clubs fit for them. So I'm a data nerd. I, I love numbers. I, I don't yeah. love numbers that much <laughs> to be, to be running grip tests and grip width tests on our, on our frequency chart. That's, that's pretty crazy. So essentially if I could boil this down to like a single sentence, this is almost like how, when you go shopping for pants, you have to try them all on, even though, you know, you're pulling a 3430 off the shelf, 34 inches by 30 inches should be the same everywhere, but, Levi's to 
Massimo to Lucky. The, as the brands change, there is going to be a slightly different fit. And so you're saying it's the same Always. thing for chefs? Always. Like you said, like it might be too much information. And like, here's the thing that I notice about really good fitters. They only give the golfer the information that they think would help them. Like right. in the background, a lot of this is going on by your really great fitters. Um, but like, it doesn't necessarily have to go to the customer. Now, sometimes I'll have guys that are like, totally don't need that information that I'll ask it because they're curious and like, I'm proud that I can provide it. Um, but like, like, like you were making the analogy with the pants. Like, it's just not as simple, even though it seems like data overkill for somebody that's struggling to break a hundred, like they are still making the same 500, if we're talking driver, 500 plus dollar investment as the golfer that's trying to, uh, you know, break par, um, shouldn't they get the same service or the same attention to detail if they're paying for the same product? And so like, it is our belief that absolutely they should. Um, and like, I would hope that most places would do that. So out and like to give you an and I was going to say, to give you an example of like how it, I, at least I word it to, to guys is, um, you know, I'll say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to measure the club statically. Um, really what it's doing is it's just telling us like, Hey, what is this? What is this golf club before we hit it? Is it this, is it that? Um, and then from there, we're going to put that data into the chart and, and let that kind of tell us where, where that club lies. So I was kind of thinking down um, the same line, Mike, you know, if we're like, you know, Johnny weekend golfer, how do we yeah. have, you know, how do we maybe get an idea as to whether or not our club is mislabeled in terms of that shaft flexion? Yeah. So, um, I guess it's uh, one really good way to test it is if you know, one of your buddies has, um, the same driver you do, and it's supposedly the, the same stiffness, um, have some fun with it and say, Hey man, like, let's, let's just hit these two drivers and sit them back to back and kind of see what, what's happening. Like sometimes you'll probably find that this one, you hit it to the right more or then other one you'll hit it to the left more or lower or higher. And, and that could be a, a pretty good indicator of, man, maybe I should get that, that checked out. Um, two, like when you go and, and if you are going to, you know, a, a big box store to, to get fit for clubs, like ask them to hit, that same shaft in another model of a head, right? Or see if they have the same shaft in maybe a different flex and, and do it that way. Um, as far as like testing it goes for yourself, um, you kind of just kind of, like I said, if you have a buddy that that's really helps um, in, in getting a good sense of that, does it kind of answer your question? Yeah, so we're, we're basically trying to do like an AB test between two identical yeah. things. Because if they're truly yep. identical, they should perform, you know, outside of our right. swing variants, pretty much identical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So kind of looking, keep digging down this, this driver fitting rabbit hole. You know, first thing that's, that's going to happen at least through a, through a golf tech fitting is going to be that kind of frequency analyzation, right? Then we're moving on to uh, what's next head testing or, you know, what's, what's after that frequency analysis? So following that is, so after we kind of input all the data and we go through, okay, Hey, you know, Hey man, sorry, but uh, kind of maybe this explains why you're, you're missing some balls out to the right is because you have a double extra stiff shaft and it's supposed to be irregular. Um, you know, we, 
we'll say, let's actually just see you hit some golf balls and, and see how the ball is performing with that driver. And then from there, we'll kind of talk about some data numbers as far as what we're seeing and, and maybe what we can do to improve those ball performance numbers um, to ultimately, at the end of the day, get the golf ball going in a better direction than, than currently where it is. I know personally what I do is I try to make like a little scientific method out of it, right? So like I get a bunch of data from them. Um, I then measure their golf club um, and I start to try to understand why they have the issues they do mm-hmm. with their current golf club, make my hypothesis. And then like Mike just said, have them hit it and see if my hypothesis proves true. Um, there's no better feeling than like making a theory and then watching it come true. Like when you have that person in front of you, they're like, oh my, this guy knows what he's talking about. Yeah, no, that's, that's, it's, it is really cool to, and I, Josh, maybe that's something I'm going to start throwing into my, my fitting is, is vocalizing my hypothesis. Cause sometimes I, I chuckle in my brain, like, man, this, there's, this dude is totally hitting it to the right. Cause this shaft is just so stiff. And that's like Rory McIlroy should be swinging this club. Not a lot not of times said golfer. A lot of times what I'll do is I'll, like if they're playing something way too stiff, I'll go on the other spectrum, grab the lightest thing that I can possibly find and watch them hit a shot or two and see a completely opposite result. And then they kind of look at you like, uh, okay, what are we, what are we doing next? So once we, you know, once we've kind of had that back and forth, we're kind of zoning in on finding that right kind of finely tuned proportion what are, because I know like all sorts of numbers and terminology gets tossed out. I know that this is really, really overwhelming, especially for newer golfers. You know, what are some of the key language that they might hear in a fitting? And what is that kind of like, what's the, the layman's language of that? Oh, fellas, let's talk launch conditions so we can explain it to like everybody's in, uh, in Marty's audience here of like what we're looking for from like proper launch conditions. But like, first off, before I throw it to those guys um, to define it um, more, um, everybody needs to understand that like what's the best launch conditions for one golfer is not the necessary, the best launch conditions for another golfer. Uh, now there's a real simple way to determine that. Um, and the way that we use is the ball speed, the speed in which the ball comes off the golf club. Once I have that number, I can then determine a accurate range of what we're calling optimal launch conditions. So I'll leave it up to these fellows to explain those in more detail. But like that's that's how we determine that. So Dave, why don't you lead off? You know, when we're once we have that ball speed data, you know, where where do you go from to determine that kind of optimal? Typically, uh, if I'm looking at, I'll take I'll take the ball speed, take into account obviously launch angle, which is the basically the 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 original uh, i guess the launch off of the t the angle that it, it exits the t um at and make sure that that is substantial enough to to i guess get the ball up in the air high enough so they can maximize their carry when i fit somebody i don't te- i don't i don't fit them to necessarily hit it as far as i can uh with roll i'm looking at trying to get them to carry it the furthest and that brings me in my next point, backspin. Obviously, we need that to um, help keep the golf ball in the air um, if we're struggling to create enough height and, and carry. Um, and then opposite of that, sometimes we hit it way too high, spin it way too much. 
um, want to bring that down to help us maximize um, how the ball actually penetrates through the air. So to piggyback off what Dave's just saying, I'm going to paint a audio picture for everybody listening. Think of a garden hose. Okay. Garden hose, you could turn, you could change the water pressure at different like PSI. So if you have a garden hose in which the water is coming out really fast to get the water to go its maximum distance, the hose would be kind of level. If you had a really, really weak stream, you would need to tilt that hose up. It's the same thing with golf balls. If there's less speed, the ball needs to launch higher and spin more. If there's more speed, the ball needs to launch lower and spin less. Interesting. That's a nice kind of just black and white picture there. To hear it kind of put into easier to consume pieces like that, I think is really cool. And it makes sense. If something's moving slower, you know, if you think about same thing with throwing a football or a baseball, if, you know, if you're not throwing it with as much velocity to get it to go as far as possible, you're going to need to angle it higher up in the air. If you're really coming in with like, Nolan Ryan type heat on that thing, then you don't need a lot of altitude. You're just going to let the force of it carry itself dead ahead. Right. Yeah. I, I also use an analogy with guys too. And this could be another way to paint an audio, um, Pablo Picasso, um, (laughs) Bob Ross, happy audio pictures. (laughs) Right. So here's what we're going to do today. Um, so I like to use, I like to use the analogy of two pieces of Velcro, right? So say someone needs to launch the golf ball higher and spin it more. Well, we need more of the golf ball as one piece of the Velcro to grab onto the air, the other piece of the Velcro. So then it can rise and and go. Whereas for someone like myself who hits it, really high with a lot of spin. Like I actually need it to be more of like a knuckleball to where none, the Velcro is actually not kind of catching each other. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, especially me being a baseball nerd and going through extreme withdrawals right now. Uh, <laughs> I absolutely understand that whole kind of knuckleball concept. And that's always what I've been after as well as kind of minimizing that spin because I do have a pretty good ball speed off the club. Yep. You're also talking to a former baseball player as well, so. That hits it nowhere. Here we go. I knew this would happen. I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. (laughs) Um, So to to expand upon this, I think it would be good to add to the conversation how we would influence those launch conditions in a fitting. Um, So I'll throw this one to uh, Dave first. Like, if you needed a ball to launch higher, what things could you change um, in the golf club to do so? Typically look at loft first. I think that's the easiest one to go to. Um, somebody's hitting in nine degree and not in our desired launch window, then I'm going to go probably reach for a 10 and a half or 12 degree. Um, what's awesome nowadays is we have the ability to adjust within those degrees with the adjustability to the golf club um, nowadays. So that's what I would go to first. And then after becoming closer to the the desired launch angle, hopefully um, start looking at some weighting and things like that to, to get the ball, to get, get going um, in, into the desi- desired launch window. So Mike, if you wanted to like play with the, the weighting of the golf club, like uh, when Dave says something like that, like how would you go about doing that? Yeah. So if I am going to need 
to decrease the amount of spin on that shot, I'm going to add a, let's use the new Callaway Maverick, for example, a thing um, has, and we'll talk, let's talk about the Sub-Zero head, um, has two different positions where we can put a weight. Well, if I want to decrease the amount of spin, um, I'm going to put the 14 gram weight uh, closer to the club face, whereas um, the lighter weight will be in the back. And then if I'm needing to actually launch the golf ball higher, AKA creating more spin, I'm going to put the heavier weight uh, in the back of the driver with the lighter weight nearest the club face. And so Marty, what this does, if you want to use like fancy terms, that will make us all sound really smart is it adjusts the center of gravity of the club head. And so as a simple rule of thumb, the further away and low in the club head that the center of gravity is, the higher the ball should launch, given all else things been equal. Obviously, the opposite is also true. The further forward and high, the harder it is to hit above such center of gravity, and the ball should go launch lower and spin less. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's almost like if we kind of equate it to another sport, um, <clears throat> a field goal kicker. Like when they're back when extra points used to be on the two yard line back in my day when football was kicked from the two, uh, <laughs> you would, you would see those guys, they would come in at a, at a very steep angle. So they would be getting that weight down at the bottom, creating spin and that higher launch angle. Where as if you're looking at Jason Elam trying to kick a 63 and a half yard field goal, then he's not, you know, it, and it's, you even hear them called this in football. They're called chip shots, chip shot field goals. Cause it's that, that exact same kind of like golf mechanical swing type of thing. Um, if you're coming at it from a distance, you're catching that ball much more in the meat, you know, of the ball. Uh, your launch angle isn't as high because you need that outward uh, directional force. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah. so like when you, when you see the different club companies and they have like, they have, uh, for example, like Mike just used Maverick. Um, we could also use Ping. We could use whoever we wanted, but they have different like labels for those clubs. So like for Callaway and that Maverick, they have what Mike just references the sub zero, which is their lowest spinning head center of gravity, most forward. Um, then they have one called the max, which is one that has weight in the heel to give that golf club more of a draw bias um, and then they also have their standard maverick head ping has something they call lst stands for low spin technology low spinning center of gravity forward they have something called plus where the weight is the center of gravity is further back so that club should launch higher and spin more interesting so if if myself or you know average weekend joe golfer is looking into this type of investment we're hopefully going to go and get fitted where that, that person who's doing that fitting is going to look at the ball speed off the club to then determine whether or not the forward center of gravity or backward center of gravity would be more beneficial kind of in a nutshell, right? Correct. And then like the, the only last thing to look at in this regard, I mean, not the only last thing, but the last typical thing you would look at is the golf shaft. And so I'll let these guys talk a little bit about golf shaft, um, whoever wants to start first and talk about how that could influence ball flight. 
All right, I'm going to stop the guys here because they can go long and deep on the whole club fitting process. As you can tell, we're just about to talk about what Shaft Flex has to do and its parts in the club fitting process. So make sure you tune in for part two with Mike, Dave, and Josh from Golf Tech Columbus. We will get into more of, like I said, the Shaft Flex conversation, as well as some things to be aware of when you are actually getting fitted for irons versus a driver. So make sure you stay tuned. If you haven't, if you find yourself in this group of golfers who are struggling to break 90 and you've heard the podcast and you kind of like what I do, uh, feel free to join our Facebook group. It's our free Facebook group. It's Golf 101, How to Break 90. So you can just search that up on Facebook and you can get entered there. Otherwise, as always, I will catch you in the short grass. Cheers, everybody. All right, thanks for listening to this episode of Golf Strategy School. As always, if you want to keep it in the short grass, all you got to do is put those lessons into effect. And if you want to see exactly how you fare in terms of your physical performance to other golfers your age, head over to par4success.com slash griffin, and you'll be able to see exactly where you line up and match up with other golfers your age based off of this this free performance assessment that Chris and his team has put together. Again, that's parforsuccess.com slash Griffin to see exactly how well you line up against all their golfers your age. And I'll just drop a link to it in the show notes.